If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Exodus chapter 20, way back into the Old Testament, into the Ten Commandments. When I was growing up, I had attentive parents. That means my parents were disciplinarians. That means my parents did not let me get away with anything, no matter how hard I tried. One of the things that I can remember in my mind is my mother always making this motion whenever we were anywhere, and what this motion meant to us and what it means is say thank you. Say thank you. So if you caught her eye and we were leaving somebody's home or someone had just given us something, she would do this and we were supposed to say thank you. Her expectation would be that we would verbalize our thanks and her hope ultimately was that we would be grateful people. So she gave a specific command and hoped that our heart behind our words would match up. Sometimes when we get into these commands, the Ten Commandments, we read the letter of the law and God is very explicit in his expectation for application. Of course, his explicit application in these Ten Commandments was for a time, a place, and a people. But his hope behind his explicit command is that our heart will match up with what he says. And this is certainly one of those commandments this morning. I'll begin reading in verse 8. If you don't have your Bible, the words will be available here on the screen. And here is what God says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now that's what most of us know. What we do not realize is this is the most verbiage committed to any commandment of the ten. The most real estate for any of the ten commandments is given to this one, and God will now expand beginning in verse 9. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it Thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Why? Here's the answer. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. You cannot come out of those verses with any confusion as to what God expected of his people Israel. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The reason I am hallowing and blessing this seventh day is because of what I did, he is saying back at creation. And so I now say to you, set aside a special day that belongs only to me. Whenever you read in the New Testament, there are certain individuals or certainly segments of people who have bad reputations. The Pharisees have to top that list. Nobody thinks of a Pharisee and thinks to themselves, I'd love to be one of them or around them. In fact, if you've been in church for very long, you imagine you probably have been around some Pharisees. You have been exposed to legalism, no doubt about it. Of all the Ten Commandments, I don't think any one of them produced or spawned any more rules and regulations than this one. It always intrigues me to study 
and find this within history. Here's what the Pharisees would have said. If you are a scribe, you cannot carry a pen on the Sabbath day. If you are a tailor, you cannot carry a needle on the Sabbath day. If you are a student, you cannot carry a book on the Sabbath day because if you were a scribe with a pen, a tailor with a needle, or a student with a book, you might be tempted to work on the Sabbath day. They said if you tossed an object into the air, you had to catch it with the same hand because if you tossed it with one hand into the air and caught it with the other, that constituted work. So for those of you that are not athletic, you're already in trouble. Toss and catch with the same hand, way too much. They codified it even further. They said no insects could be killed. Can't light a flame, can't extinguish a flame on the Sabbath. Nothing can be bought or sold. You cannot bathe on the Sabbath. And the reason behind it is if you took a bath on the Sabbath and some of the water splashed out onto the floor, by it splashing onto the floor, it might clean the floor, which would constitute work. You cannot take a bath for fear of splashing. You cannot... Put any radish, this is one that really doesn't apply to us, but I enjoyed it. Don't put a radish in salt because a pickling effect will take place and you would have pickled on the Sabbath. Do not put radishes in salt on the Sabbath. How many of you were in danger of that one? Yes. Pickled radishes. If you are sick or you were dealing with somebody that was sick, you can only do enough treatment to keep them alive. If you gave any medical treatment that improved the condition, that was considered work and therefore it was prohibited. I I liked this one. It was not even permissible for a woman to look in the mirror. You want to know why? They codified this. For fear that she might be tempted to pull a gray hair that she saw and it constituted work. You could not wear jewelry because you could not wear anything heavier than a dry fig and jewelry would be heavier than a dry fig. And by the way, if you were really going to honor God, you better know what a dry fig weighs. You could not shear sheep. You could not spin wool. You could not wash, wash, wash clothes. You could not tie a knot, nor could you untie a knot. Anybody in here who has shoelaces has already wrecked it before God and is doomed to hell. Now, the other thing I think is this. You cannot tie a knot nor untie a knot, and everybody's baptistic expectation is that I begin every day by tying a knot around my neck, nonetheless. You couldn't do that and live out according to the law. You couldn't bind sheaves, thresh wheat, grind flour, knead dough, hunt a deer. Whenever you codify something to this extent and degree and you adapt this many rules and regulations, what you are doing is you are creating the perfect atmosphere for hypocrisy. Finding ways around those rules and regulations and the fact is the Pharisees were great at it. I thought this was awesome. One of the most interesting restrictions related to the distance people could travel on the Sabbath. A person was not allowed to travel more than 3,000 feet or 1,999 steps. But if you took a plate of food and walked it 3,000 feet from your home and set it down, that plate of food would now become an extension of your home. And so you could walk to that plate 
and 3,000 feet further in order to extend your home. If you took a stick and walked it 3,000 feet from your home and set it down, it became an extension to the door of your home and you could go further and further. And if you put enough plates of food out there, really you could get all the way to the beach on a Sunday. You can understand how hypocrisy comes into play. The Pharisees were professional hair splitters. They took this commandment and they created what they called generations of laws. And as a result, the Mosaic system, the Ten Commandments, became a prison house with bars of tradition. Jail cells made out of regulation. They put the Jewish people in bondage by the Ten Commandments. The fact is, God had established this day as a day of reverence toward Him, a day of refreshment, a day of rest. And what they had done was made it a suffocating day of regulation. You say, I think I've attended that church. It's been a suffocating, stifling day of rules and regulation. Understand that to the Pharisee. Understand that to the religious world that the Pharisees had developed, they had begun to worship the day itself, the duty and the obligation and the deed rather than the God of the day. They had neglected the spirit behind the law, but God had communicated it. Listen again in verse 11. Here's the spirit of the law. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, this is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. In other words, if God took a break, if God set aside a day and stopped, infinite God, then certainly we as finite creatures should follow his example. Now the reality is God did not rest because he was tired. God did not work so hard on creation that he reached a point of exhaustion and needed a day off. The Bible teaches us this, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? God's never tired. God never reaches the point of exhaustion. God is never maxed out. Why then would he rest on the seventh day? I believe it was so he could be an example for us. Individuals who are finite but feel omnipotent. Also note this command isn't prohibitive. You don't get a thou shalt not do this. But rather it begins with a positive call to remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I know what you're thinking because I think it the second I began studying any of the Ten Commandments, particularly this one. Okay, pastor, the Sabbath. What about us today? Is the Sabbath for us? Well, on the surface, Sabbath means to rest. You didn't know you were coming into a seminary class, but you're here now. Here's what you have to understand. Sabbath simply means rest. We are no longer under the law. I'm glad for it. If under the law, and I had to uphold the law, according to the rules of the Pharisees, I'm already doomed. Ezekiel 20 and verse 12 teaches us something that we have to understand. 
The Sabbath was a covenant sign for God and his people Israel, much like circumcision was. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. I'll read beginning in verse 10. I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. Here it is. Moreover, also, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. It is a covenant sign. God expected the nation of Israel to declare their distinctiveness, to declare their separateness unto him. And the way that they could do that physically, externally, was the rite of circumcision and the observance of the Sabbath. Now, I know we have to be separate unto the Lord, but we as a New Testament church do not observe the Sabbath. You are not here on the Sabbath day. This is not the Sabbath. This is a church service, and we are here not on the seventh day of the week, but on the first day of the week. Have you ever wondered why? I know why, because people want to ruin your weekend. That's why. They want to wreck your weekend, and so they take the second half of it and make it all about church. That's why. No. Some significant events happen that help us to understand in the New Testament where we live here and now, we are not observing the Sabbath, and I'll build on that momentarily, but we have to grasp something has happened. The Apostle Paul was writing to believers in Colossae, and he was helping them to grasp this. He wrote this in Colossians 2. Let no man therefore judge you in meat and in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So there were indicators of salvation through Jesus Christ down through the ages. They were, in effect, storytellers. They were shadows. The shadows were Sabbath days and festivals that were to be observed and the new moons. But the body is the cross of Christ. Pharisees argued with Jesus over this. In Mark chapter 2, you'll find what is called the Sabbath incident where the Pharisees go after Jesus about this, and in doing so, Jesus teaches us an eternal principle. This is really helpful. In Mark chapter 2, listen as I read. And it came to pass that he, that is Jesus, went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Now, the Pharisees were miserable to be around. Can you imagine somebody watching every step that you took and telling you every time you broke a rule? And again, I say, if you've been to church, sure, you can imagine that. The Pharisees are watching Jesus. The Bible is explicit. He's walking through a field with the disciples. It's the Sabbath day. The disciples are plucking ears of corn because they are hungry. There were also laws that were set aside for those that were poverty stricken to be able to glean from fields just like this. Jesus responds to the Pharisees and he says to them, have you never read what David did when he had need? When he was unhungered, he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat but for the priests, 
And gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Abiathar the high priest gave David the only food that he had. The only food that he had as David was running for his life was the food on the table of showbread. This was not really good stuff. This is bread that's been sitting out, but it was sustenance for David and his men. And what Jesus is in effect saying to the Pharisees is this, I have not broken God's expectation for the Sabbath. What I have broken is your man-made regulation about observing the Sabbath. I've not done anything wrong, and if you who love David and you who worship David remember that he ate of the table of showbread, don't you think that you could be merciful to these my disciples who are eating? Jesus is teaching in that moment that it's about the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. Jesus Christ is not violating what God expected. He is violating man-made regulation. The problem is the Pharisees had gone so far, made so many rules, it was impossible not to. Bondage, suffocation, a stifling thing when God expected rest and refreshment. Jesus teaches us this eternal principle. It happens just a little earlier in Mark chapter 2. He says, No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worser. That's a good word. No man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. The point is this. Jesus is saying, I did not come and it is not my desire to dress up the old system. I am creating an entirely new system. I'm not here to patch up an old garment. I am here to create an entirely new garment. As Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What is so new? If we are here and Jesus has come and he has fulfilled the law, why then are we here on a Sunday? I ask myself that a lot. Why am I here with you now? I already went to church at 945. Doesn't that count? Why are we here on the first day of the week? Every one of the gospel writers teaches us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was on the Lord's day on the first day day of the week. Now, John, who was writing the book of Revelation, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, gives us that term when he says in Revelation 1.10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. This, the first day of the week, is the Lord's day, and that is a thoroughly biblical term. We learn as we go through the book of Acts In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. That's Paul preaching all the way till midnight. It's a really long sermon. I'm not going to try. I might make noon. And that'll aggravate enough people. On the first day of the week, we are already in the book of Acts, in the early church, watching them, witnessing them, meet together on the first day of the week. 
Now the apostle Paul was writing to the believers at Corinth and he was trying to set up an offering that was going to be helpful to other people. Note what he says in 1 Corinthians 16 too. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered that there be no gatherings when I come. So why are we here on Sunday? This again is not the Sabbath day. We have not taken the Sabbath and just bumped it into the next week. We're here not to ruin your weekend, and we don't have to schedule services around kickoff of football games in the fall. The fact is, we are here because we are following the example of the New Testament churches, and we are responding to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which happened on the first day of the week, and this is the Lord's day. So the Sabbath is not necessary to be observed in order that we might be saved. In fact, we do not observe the Sabbath. We're here on the first day of the week. So what then do we do? That's an important question. You said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then followed it up by giving me a too lengthy dissertation on how this is not the Sabbath. Can we go now? Oh no, we haven't even hit the part where I tell you, this is what you should do. Here's what you should do. Remember to keep it holy. How many of you have found your memory is not what it once was? Ooh, that's the majority of you. Let's let's take up another offering. How many of you have short-term memory loss? Real short-term. Remember simply means the mental activity of recalling, the mental activity of pondering. And the the language is saying this is a command. Just do this. This is non-negotiable. This is not optional. Just do this. Keep it holy. What does holy mean? Set apart. It is for sacred use. So keeping the Sabbath, remembering the Sabbath, pondering, meditating on the Sabbath means more than just ceasing from labor. But it means also on the positive side, using it for sacredness, sanctity. Back in Genesis chapter 2, God set the precedent. Now, Moses alludes to this in Exodus 20 because God is giving him the command And here is the backstory in Genesis chapter 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. God, for an example to us, set apart the seventh day of the week, And sanctified it. It was different than the other six days. So different that on the other six days, he created the entire universe. And on the seventh day, he rested. And there's no further explanation given. It's as though God is saying to us, if I, God, can create the entire universe in six days and still find time to rest, you cannot possibly be too busy unless you yourself have been a universe creator this week, which I know is completely untrue. You're not too busy to rest. The rhythm of our lives are meant to be divinely enabled by following the precedent that God set. 
We are not bound by the covenant sign of the Sabbath, but the nature and the spirit behind the law is eternal, and God created us with limitations. We are finite beings, and unless we reestablish and return to the fulfillment of God's expectation here, we'll falter. An old Puritan, Thomas Watson, said this, God made this day on purpose to raise the heart to heaven, to converse with him, to do angels' work. That's ministry. And to be employed in earthly work is to degrade the soul of its honor. What do we do? We keep it. How do we keep it? We sanctify it. We, we set it apart as an holy convocation. We make a distinction. Two words that God used in his explanation of this command. He said, I have blessed it and I have hallowed it. Do you realize that God never intended for ritual and tradition and ceremony to get in the way of true restful worship? That was not his intention. He does not want ritual, tradition, and ceremony to impede true restful worship. He wants our hearts. Hosea said, I desired mercy, speaking on behalf of God and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He expects spiritual reflection. He expects physical recuperation for you and me his people, by turning it into a burdensome day of restrictive observance, the Pharisees and the like obscured the true intent that God had. They cared more about their petty customs than they did God's plan. They were worshiping the day more than the God of the day. And, and get this, because the Pharisees get a really, really bad reputation. I think they were well-intentioned, some of them certainly. If God said don't work on the Sabbath, then I want to be so careful to not work on the Sabbath that I codify everything so that all I do is sit here on the Sabbath. But if he doesn't have your heart, what good is your codification of all of those rules? Some of the well-intentioned things that we have done actually have impeded restful worship. They have twisted And I cannot emphasize this enough. What God intended to be a divine blessing, a day that was set apart as distinct and different. They had twisted and they had mangled and they had perverted it into a day of drudgery. Whenever you add to what God says, you make his way needlessly difficult because of your rules. Think about that for a second. Whenever we add to what God has said, we make the way that he intended needlessly difficult for everybody. We've not been called to follow an individual. We've not been called to follow a regulation. We have not been called to follow a program or a plan. We follow God. We follow Jesus Christ. One of the most damning things you can do in your life is live to please other people. Because the fear of man brings a snare. That's what the Bible teaches us. And everybody has particular boxes which they desperately need for you to check. And if you are a people pleaser, you go about trying to not only check the boxes that you have, but checking everybody else's individual boxes until you are exhausted and the effort is futile and there is no true rest in that. What I have found as a general rule is this. 
There is a segment of people who will only love you and only like you and only agree with you if you are doing 100% of things like they do it in the way that they do it. And if you break your back and skin your knees and sweat out all your sweat and work as hard as you can to get to 95% of the way they do it, like they do it, they'll despise you just as though you were only doing 30% of it anyway. And if you go through life trying to keep everybody happy for their codification of rules and regulations, you will live miserably. But we have been called not to follow them, not to follow a man or a program or a regulation, but God. And he said, rest. How in the world do I rest? This is a place to rest. I don't mean to come in and sleep. That happens too often. But rest. How am I resting in this place? Do you realize that you should have a space that you come apart from and come to? My hope is even as we build the next phase that we create an environment that is conducive to spiritual rest. Not only do we try to come apart into a place like this, the true fact is we desperately need to change gears. We should hear a different vocabulary in this place. There should be a different emphasis. Now, it could be, but I would highly doubt that anyone in here took Exodus 28 through 11 and just unpacked it this week and enjoyed it. But you are here and now. The music that you hear here and now should be different than that which you hear through the week. There is a distinctness. There is a separateness to God's expectation for rest. You should be recharged spiritually. You should hear from God's word. You should be provoking one another unto good works. One of the strongest facets of church attendance is what you do for each other. This is not a show. This is not a mere exercise in attendance. This is you provoking each other and encouraging each other like a family would. You say, well, yeah, I have to come in here and I have to serve. Well, so do I. So I'm the wrong guy to complain to. Jesus gives us a whole new meaning of work and rest and fulfillment when he says this in John 4, 34. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said, when I do the work of God, I am sustained. I find that sustenance for me. On that basis, Jesus gives us rest. Now listen, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, here's what we read. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You don't have to strive for salvation. Thankfully, you don't have to adhere to and fulfill all the Ten Commandments in order that you might attain salvation. Jesus Christ fulfilled all the law, and when Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood, he gifts to us eternal life. He paid the ultimate penalty for our failure to uphold the law in death. He was our substitute. His blood is the atoning sacrifice. We can be justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. I do not have to strive for salvation. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He offers rest. What I find is too often, church for me is not restful. 
When do I actually truly rest? Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not barking and complaining because I'm a pastor. I'm just saying sometimes we have so many expectations we're trying to fulfill that the idea of grasping, I'm not striving for Jesus to love me anymore. I'm not striving for God to be merciful. He was merciful to me through the gift of Jesus Christ. I don't have to do everything perfect so that Jesus loves me. I don't have to do everything to keep everybody else happy and check all of their little boxes just so they'll be merciful. I already have mercy. I already have his love. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He offers me rest. The work is finished. In Hebrews, I read, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. You don't have to work for it. You can find salvation. It's free in Jesus Christ. Why then do we strive so hard to lay rules on everybody? You think you're going to enjoy church until I tell you here's 12 things you have to do to come here. You think you're going to enjoy church. You think you're going to serve people and provoke others unto love and good works. But only if you'll do these six things can you then provoke others unto love and good works. I've been provoked in church, have you? Not to love and good works, but to throat punch a few people. <laughs> rules, rule, here's what you have to do. If you're, actually, if, you're actually, if you're actually going to be on God's team, here's what it looks like. Not like this. Let me add to this. I'll tell you what it looks like. You better keep working. You better keep striving. You better keep trying. I find that you're resting just a little too much. But Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You know, it's not a day for mere activity. We are to rest, but we also are to worship. This verse has been thrown out 100,000 times, especially recently, especially through COVID. Does anyone remember COVID? COVID was like a couple years ago. Anyone? COVID like changed the church world. People were saying this all the time. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So much the more. That's the so much the more. But they forget the verse that comes right before it. They like to pick and choose. They forget this one. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. That precedes it. Here's why you should assemble together. To provoke one another unto love and good works. We're not trying to create a caste system. We're not trying to return to a feudal systems of lords and peasants. And if you come more, you're a lord. And if you don't come a lot, you're a peasant. We're not going back to that caste system. The reality is the reason we convene together in this place is to worship God. Now hold on. I know we have worship leaders and worship services, but you're in charge of whether you are worshiping or not. I cannot invoke worship in you. I'm going to create an atmosphere, and inside of this atmosphere, nothing but worship takes place. If you're in here and your heart is far from God, you are not worshiping. If you are in here and you are speaking words or singing words or you are listening to words, but God does not have your heart, you are not worshiping. If you are giving, that is not worship unless it comes from a cheerful heart for God loveth a cheerful giver. And that is a mode of worshiping as we give back to him. We come together not because we have to be here, though that's motivation at times, isn't it? What else am I going to do? 
I got to go. I get indigestion if I don't go to church. I feel like I'm going to get in a car wreck on Monday if I don't go to church. I feel like I'm going to lose my job. I feel like we're going to hit a financial disaster unless I go and check that attendance box. If all it is is mere attendance, that, that would explain the level of exhaustion. That, that conveys the futility of the effort. But if we're provoking one another unto love and good works, if we're exhorting and encouraging each other to pursue Christ to a greater degree, we begin to figure it out. I don't mean to rebuke anybody, but listen, it's hard in our church to know who goes to church here. Multiple services over the week, people are in and out, come in, you park in the grass, you walk in here, you don't know people, you don't know if they're first, second timers, or maybe they're on staff, you don't know. I, I understand that you can come in and you can slip out and you can come in and you can slip out and you can come in and you can slip but if you're not finding someone to provoke unto love and good works and it's merely an exercise in attendance, it's a fail. We have taken what God intended to be a divine blessing. I don't mean that we're here observing the Sabbath. That is not what we are doing. We're here on the Lord's Day, but the the spirit of the thing carries on. There should be a day that's different than the rest of the week. It should require an emotional change and a verbal change and a physical change and it should be an attitude change and we should sanctify it and set it apart to use for God. But if this gets to be a point where we just wear people out, we overwork them and we overtax them and we grind them down so that when they start Monday, they're already worn out and everything that we announce is like, (coughs) I can't. I can't find it in me to do it again. We're missing what God intended to be a divine blessing. Can I simply say to you, if you're not applying this as God intends, you are missing out. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.